following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Do you know that good old way? For those who will wear the robe and the crown. Now we're going to study the good old way today and all this week. Do you know the good old way? Oh, all of us can give lots of theological answers, but what are the first baby steps of salvation? And have you taken those first baby steps? Or is it all head knowledge, self-improvement, trying hard? What is the way of salvation? I'm very troubled as I come to the mic today. 
because information about the gospel flows freely in America. And yet we are a nation of wickedness and sin, of disobedience to the Lord God of heaven. Our social structure has been corrupted. Our government has been corrupted. Our churches have been corrupted. One man begins to ascend in power and begins to destroy what has taken years to build. I've watched it time after time. The dismantling of a church. The hidebound church, so full of tradition it can't get out of its own way, so full of ritual. Little preacher stands and types day after day his messages but they make no real difference in the life of his people. It's just good entertainment. It's good social structure. It's good emotional stuff. How do we get past the Gerber food of the gospel and begin to get into the meat and learn those first important steps that we must take to enter into salvation? I think of my daughters when they were babies. I'd hold out my hands to them and I'd say, Sweetheart, come. And they'd take their first stumbling steps. Fall down. Maybe cry. Be helped up. Somebody hold their hands. Okay, go to daddy. Go to daddy. Come on, sweetheart. Come. You can do it. I know you can do it. Have you gone through those steps with Jesus? Have you taken those first baby steps into true salvation? Some of you have been a Christian for 30 years. You're old, 30 chronological years, but In your walk with Jesus, you're still an infant, angry because you don't have your binky or your bottle, arguing, fighting, fussing, angry, jealous, bitter. When are we going to begin to stop all of the intellectualizing of the gospel and finally just get real about what are the baby steps I must take to grow up in Jesus. They're not complicated. They're very simple. The execution of them, however, oh, that's where the rub is. You know, I've been crying out to God over this issue. I've been saying, Lord, How do we begin to even talk about it? I'm simply going to share with you what he gave me. There was a man by the name of Abraham. Abram, at this point in his life, still a baby, immature, but a man. He lives in a very wealthy, sophisticated community called Ur of the Chaldeans. 
commerce and business, money. Also, very sophisticated technologically. Fresh running water for their toilets. Heat for their homes. High-class business. Abraham is there with his family, and they run a family business. I don't know what the business was. We're not told. It was probably partly livestock and partly goods and services. They were wealthy. They were also in direct line with Shem. They were in the line of of holy men. Now he was married to a woman very beautiful. Sarai. They'd been married for some time, but she was barren. She could not have children. And she was shamed by this. Now the word of the Lord came to Abram and said, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And then he gives him this incredible promise I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. What's the first baby step that Abram takes? So Abram left as the Lord told him. The first step towards salvation for Abram. He left as the Lord had told him. Now it was a baby step because he did not obey the word of the Lord that said, leave your family behind. No, he brought Lot with him. He also brought daddy with him. Daddy's name was Terah. The word Terah means delay. Always it seems we want to drag along with us those who are going to delay us in our obedience to God. This is part of the immaturity. Somebody says, oh, oh, we can't go there. We can't do that. That's too far away. We, you know, Let's be reasonable about this following Jesus business. Let's not go overboard. So we have those family members particularly who will delay us who will slow us down and we drag them with us so they ended up part way there and they stopped in a a town called Haran Haran means parched dry So now he's faced with living in a town with delay where things are not going well. This is part of what happens to babies. They get into trouble. They spill things. They make messes. He's delayed and now he's in a parched, unproductive place. 
the word of the Lord again comes to him and says, go. Well, he's already on his way, but now he leaves. And he goes to the land that God directs him to. I want you to notice that he is going to operate by a word. And the word is faith. Now, I have to make an honest confession to you. For most of my life, I have really not had a clue about what faith meant. Sounded good. It meant, oh, just name it and it's mine. Just just believe. Believe the car is going to start when I go out. Well, the car always starts when I go out until the battery goes, and then it doesn't start anymore. So what good is my faith if the car won't start? So faith doesn't always work. You've got to make sure you maintain your car. You've got to make sure you do what you're supposed to do. And then after you've done what you're supposed to do, then you're supposed to be go out to your car and turn. Well, you can do that until, until the car doesn't charge the battery anymore. So things can go wrong. So what does real faith mean? What does biblical faith... Are you willing to put your trust in a word called faith and wait until Jesus comes and then discover that your battery doesn't have a charge in it and you can't go to heaven? You go to hell instead. Well, I'm not willing to risk that deal. I want to know that what he says is true and I can trust him all the time not part of the time all the time so Abram with Lot with his wife with all the possessions they have they travel to the land of Canaan and when they get there they set up their tent There's a famine in the land. It's more parched than Haran was. So it's like Abraham now is taking the first baby steps toward his salvation. But as he takes these baby steps, things keep getting in the way. First his father, delay. Then Lot drags along with him. And now he gets to Egypt gets to Egypt. He doesn't stay in the land God told him to go to because he knows Egypt is rich in resources. So he travels down through the Negev and he goes right on. By the way, I've been to the Negev. Wow. It was in the springtime. It was this spring. It was barren. Even in the springtime, there's no green in the Negev. It's desert. You have to carry the water you want to drink as you traverse through the Negev into Egypt. You get to Egypt, and here's the Nile River, and everything's green, and everything's beautiful. And you say, wow, why would I want to go where God wants to send me when I can go to the world, and I can have all this green, beautiful foliage around me? I can make money. I'm prospering here. 
Problem is, he has to sell his wife out to Pharaoh. And his wife is the very object that God desires to use to bring about the salvation of the world for the birthing of the Messiah. But he doesn't know all of that. All he knows is, I've got to feed my family, and if I have to go to Egypt to do that, I'm on my way to Egypt. And of course, while he was in Egypt, he was probably given an Egyptian slave, a beautiful woman, who later would cause much difficulty between he and his wife Sarai. Hagar and Ishmael. Now, please, I'm not going to pretend today that you can walk completely without air and completely straight on this journey of growing up in Jesus. We are going to mess up. And it's going to be very costly for us. We're going to mess up because of our limited view and the hardness of our heart. We don't see the end from the beginning, but quite frankly, there's much less excuse for you and me than there was for Abraham because he didn't have the story of the crucifixion of the Lord God of heaven. He didn't have the story of the resurrection. He didn't have the teaching of the apostles. So we find Abraham goes to Egypt and there he's rebuked by Pharaoh and sent back with his wife to Canaan. Now, when I read in the scriptures this passage, let me read it for you. It's found in Romans, fourth chapter. Romans, the fourth chapter. I'll begin with verse 13. Now, the promise to Abraham, to his seed, was not by law, but through righteousness by means of faith that he would be the heir of the world. For if the heirs are out of law, the faith has been made void and the promise has been destroyed. Because the law works wrath, now there was, if there's no law, neither is there transgression. He says later, but there is death. There was no law for Adam and Eve, but there was death for them because they sinned. Because of this, righteousness is by means of faith, so that it is according to grace, to the end that the promise be sure to all the seed, not to the seed out of the law only, but also to the seed out of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So all of us are the children of Abraham who enter into his faith. You see, all of the scripture is about sin and how the sin problem is solved. If you avoid the solving of the sin problem, you have avoided the heart of what the scriptures are all about. 
we have to deal with sin. There is no, there is no way around it. Can I take it back to the baby steps? There's no way around the fact that a baby should not be crawling on his hands and knees when he's 30 years old. No, that baby should be taught to stand up if possible and to walk like a man or a woman, like an adult. We're not pleased when we go into a restaurant and see a 30-year-old man coming in on his knees with a binky in his mouth and a diaper on his behind. What? What is happening? Why is this happening? We would be astonished. We would be horrified. We'd say, what? Is that your condition as a Christian? Crawling into church Sunday after Sunday, enjoying the entertainment with your binky, with your bottle, with your diaper on, always making a mess. Really? When do we grow up? How do we grow up? What are the first baby steps we must take to grow up in Jesus? Now be practical with me. What are the first baby steps that we must take? And someone listening to this broadcast, you may say, Oh, Pastor, I know the answer to that. You must be born again. All right, I agree. What are the first steps to being born again? What are the first steps? What are the baby steps we're dealing with here? For sure, they have something to do with faith. So there's really no way around the desperate need to clearly understand what faith is and how it operates. What faith is and how it operates. And to deal with that, I want to take you to the book of Hebrews. And I want to talk with you for a minute about very simple, easy to understand, elementary, beginning understandings of what faith is and what faith is not. Because the first steps that you are going to take to grow up in Jesus will have to be by faith. So chapter 11 is called the faith chapter. We find in the King James Version, chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. You know, I've heard that. I've memorized it. I've known that since I was a child. But what does it mean? I know as soon as I read that to you, you said, oh yeah, I've heard that. And then it left your mind. Because there's no handle you have to grab a hold of what that faith means. Let me try to help. Faith is, okay, now we're going to get a definition. That definition is vital if you're going to understand what faith is. We have to define our words. 
We have to understand what they mean. Faith is the substance. Well, what does the Greek word substance mean here? If you were to go to the Lavender New Testament, which is a a new modern translation that is an extremely literal translation, let me read what it says there. Now, faith is assurance of things being expected, an inner conviction of things not being seen. still doesn't do it for me. Now, please forgive me if I've just totally missed you and you're totally unlike me and you're very bright and very erudite and understand all things. I'm not that way. I'm a simple man. You've got to break it down for me. I've got to understand what you're talking about. I'm willing to go through whatever steps I need to go through, but you better show me what the steps are if you expect me to go through them. So let's go to the Greek word for substance. Faith is the substance. What's the Greek word? Well, it's hypostasis. It means literally a setting under. In other words, it's a place where I go and sit down under something. I don't move from it. I take up a position under the grape arbor where I sit and read my book and enjoy a lemonade. I'm under, sitting under the grape arbor. Well, faith, according to this, is something I go and sit under. I remain under. Now, it's not parasmus. I'm not being pierced under there yet. But I remain under it. I remain under its authority. So faith is setting under what you hope for. The evidence of things not seen. So there's going to have to be some evidence to believe, to understand. I'm going to have to see some evidence that this is right. Now, later in the week, I'm going to take you to Mr. Finney's description in his wonderful book. I'm going to read for you the evidences that he gives us for faith. But that's a little more advanced than I want to go today. I want to remain very simple, very easy. I want you to understand this. There is one evidence that we can sit under faith concerning. The grape arbor of faith is above us. What enables us to sit under that grape arbor of faith? Evidence. But what's the evidence? Do you know? What is it? It's called the promise of God. It's called the promise of God. So if I'm willing to accept the promise of God as authority... I'm then invited to sit under the grape arbor of faith. And in that position, 
I'm ready to take the first baby steps towards salvation. Chapter 11, it says in verse 3, and this is the Lavender Bible, it is a very accurate translation versus the NIV, which is a very poor translation, or even the King James Version, which is a very poor translation. Let me read it for you. This is chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 3. We understand. In other words, we have been taught and we have comprehended that the eons or the ages of the earth, they have been put right or they have been corrected by faith in a rhema word from God, in a rhema from God, so that the things being seen have not happened out of things being visible. In other words, things have happened in the world that have totally changed the direction of the world, and they did not come about by things that we could see. There was a divine intervention into the earth, And because of that divine intervention into the earth, things were set right by men and women who saw those things, understood those things, and then walked by faith in those things, who sat under them. And then all of chapter 11 in Hebrews is the listing of the people who straightened out the earth. Noah and the ark Abraham Moses goes right through the list of the greats of scripture who heard God heard the promise sat under it believed what God said and the world was transformed Now, let me tell you why this is of such great importance to me. Because I see the world being utterly cursed by wickedness. I see America going down the toilet bowl. Some would say we're already down. I agree, but I believe by faith that can be reversed. But it's going to require we take the promises of God and we take then the first baby steps necessary to activate the promises of God. Now faith always has at its base what is called a rhema word. Rhema is a, is a revelation of divine will. It is a call of God to put something in harmony with his will. Jesus Christ is the rhema of God. He is the word of God. Jesus. Not somebody's doctrine. Not somebody's teaching. Not somebody's craziness. Jesus himself is the rhema word of God. He is the promise of God above all other promises. So we come 
now to try to understand what are what are those baby steps that we must take if we're going to enter into the change process of this eon or this age when everything is being destroyed when we go to the book of Romans let me take you back to what Paul is saying about Abraham I'll begin with verse 17 just as it stands written I have made you Abraham a father of many nations before God whom he believed the one making dead men alive and calling things not being as being in other words when we begin to take these baby steps that I'm going to share with you in just a moment if you're dead you're going to come alive are you dead today are you walking in discouragement are you in despair are you in love with the world and with wickedness what is your heart condition today be honest nobody's listening to you except Jesus right now I wish I could ask you this face to face I would what is your real spiritual condition churched cultured as a Christian dead in the spirit full of your own ideas full of your own life but no spirit life what is your condition Paul says he's going to call things that are not into being he's going to work miracles who contrary to hope believed in hope that is Abraham so that he became father of many nations according to the things having been said thus will your seed be and not having weakened in the faith not weakened in the faith what's he talking about remember I said faith has to have a sitting under something what is Abraham sitting under he's sitting under the promise of God God said if you will go and do this I will do this for you so Abraham is sitting under that grape arbor faith based on the promise God has made him he considered not his own body to have been deadened all already being about a hundred years old and and the deadness of Sarah's womb in other words in the in the world of the flesh there's no way possible God's word can come to pass so the only way it can come to pass is if God works a supernatural miracle and the only way that's going to happen is if Abraham stays under the grape arbor of faith based on the evidence of the promise that God has made to him. He was not unsettled, verse 20. This is Romans 5, verse 20. I'm sorry, verse chapter 4, verse 20. But in, in respect to the promises of God, he was not unsettled by unbelief, but was made strong by faith. 
because he was sitting under it. He didn't leave it. Having given glory to God and having been fully assured that what he had promised, he is able to do. So God came back to Abraham more than one time and spoke to him regarding the promise he'd made him. And he said, look, I'm going to fulfill the promise I've made you. Now, God has made me a promise. He made it to me at the very beginning of my, of my life. I was maybe 10 years old. He promised me revival in America. He gave me a vision. He showed me revival. He showed me people on their face weeping and crying over their sin. Is that going to happen? Yes. How do I know? Well, just this week, two nights ago, I went in before the Lord and I began to plead. Lord, I've I've been waiting my entire life since 10 years old for the promise to be fulfilled that you gave me. Year after year after year, I've waited. Then there were things in my life. I said, Lord, I gave up on your promise and I, I went my own way. And I've repented of those things. I want to be completely clean before you. You made me a promise. Are you going to keep your promise? And my heart was hurting. I got up out of bed. I took the word of God, the scriptures, and I began to pray. I began to read and say, Lord, how long? And he answered, you will see my glory. I shut the Bible and I went back to bed. I slept like a baby. I got up early the next morning and I said, Lord, was that you? Did you say that last night? Did I miss you? And immediately, in my spirit, I heard, you will see my glory. I said, Lord, that's enough. I'll stand. This happened to Abraham. It's happened to many in Scripture. It's happened to many Christians, even in our day. As we have stood on the promises of God, as we've sat under that arbor of faith based on the promise of God, and we have suffered God has brought such piercings to our heart. God has brought things into our into our hearts because of the promise he made us. Now, please, this is advanced, but I'm going to say it to you. Please try to catch it. If you can, it's okay. I'll be back. The promises of God are given as evidence to build your faith. But those promises are going to come back and stand on your head. You think you're standing on the promise, and you are, but that promise is going to come back and stand on your head. What do I mean? I mean that promise is going to bring suffering into your life. Pastor, in what way is it going to bring suffering into my life? 
Well, because as you're sitting under that arbor, the Lord God of heaven is going to begin to speak to you, and he's going to begin to give you baby steps to take. John, the Gospel, chapter 15. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Places of abiding. And the Lord will begin to give you places of abiding. He will begin to tell you, stop touching that. Don't go back to that television. Turn off. He'll begin to give you very specific things to do as you're reading the scripture. Convictions will come to your heart. That will bring suffering to your life. Why the suffering? Because of the rebellion that will rise up in your heart and say, I can't give that up. Are you kidding me? I can't do that. Lord, are you really asking me to throw out my television? I just bought it. It's brand new. I paid a thousand dollars for it. You want me to throw that television in the trash? Can't I sell it? Throw it away. Lord, really? Now you have a decision. You're going to throw it away or you're going to keep it as your idol in your living room and bow down to it and corrupt your family. I had to take mine out and throw it in the trash. almost broke my back moving it. It was heavy. I put it in my trash. Now somebody came along and took it. My neighbor. And that trash was in his house for his kids. That was his choice. He stole it out of my trash. God begins to speak to us in baby steps. And he begins to give us very specific instruction regarding what he wants us to do and not to do. He begins to tell us things to say and not to say. The Lord does not leave us sitting alone under the arbor of faith. We are believing on the evidence of the promise of what God has made to us. And now he'll come and sit with us. One of my places of abiding is that I will daily read the scriptures. Another place of abiding for me is that I will not be a glutton. He's told me to leave the sugar alone. Does that mean I'm never allowed to have a dessert? No. But it certainly means I'm not supposed to eat it every day. He's called me to live a holy life. Is that legalism? Of course not. <coughs> Pardon me. Obedience is not legalism unless you think by doing that you're somehow earning something from God. No, I'm just staying under faith. I'm I'm letting him do in my life what he wants to do. Now 
fasting is a part of my place of abiding. The giving of of money is a part of the place of abiding for me. I've given everything I have to Jesus. I don't own my own money. I don't have any money. But when he puts money in my hand and he says, now give this to that person. Okay, Lord, I'm giving it. Now I could say, now Lord, I have some needs. No, the Lord didn't say take care of your needs. He said take care of that person. Give that to me, he says. Over here, you're my hands, you're my legs, you're my arms. Go give that as I direct you. In other words, the first baby steps toward salvation will be seeing the promises of God, very specific promises. Second Peter tells us that we enter into the divine nature through the promises of God. How do we enter into the divine nature by the promises of God? By going under the arbor, by sitting under faith, by remaining under it. And God comes and sits with us and he said, Now, I want you every day to read the scriptures. Every day I want you to come and talk with me. I want you to pray. Oh yes, pray all day long. Continually be in communion with me. Never break your communion. But I want certain times where you come and just solely give yourself to me and cry out to me. For some of us, it's often 4 or 5 a.m. There's something about those early hours. For some, it may be before you go to bed at night problem with that is most at night want to pray silently so the family doesn't hear them and they promptly go to sleep on Jesus that's kind of insulting him I think so the first baby steps toward salvation are by faith based on the promises and it's taking those first baby steps of obedience those first baby steps of obedience will bring us into a new birth experience where Jesus comes as a supernatural work of grace changes you into a new person for some the first baby step of obedience may be just show up just just show up at church every Sunday. Be faithful. Just show up. My heart's so tired of men and women who drift in and out of church. It shows that they have every priority in their life placed above the family of God. And when a person says, Oh, I'm a part of the family of God. Really? How do you treat the family of God? Do you help pay for the electricity? Do you help pay for the expenses of the household? Or are you a baby in diapers and you just want to show up and have your binky and diaper changed? The first step toward salvation is just showing up. And you come like you are. And if that means you're in a diaper and a binky, come on. But come. 
and begin to hear a straight, honest word of God that will pierce your heart, that the Holy Spirit can begin to speak to you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how shall they hear if no one is sent to preach? That's what the word says. I've always thought that preaching was a rather foolish endeavor. I used to, in my past years, be very much into training, corporate training. And I would put the charts up on the wall and I would chart everything. I tried doing that in church and it didn't work out so well. The Holy Spirit works by the foolishness of preaching. He pierces our hearts. Because when you listen to the preaching of an honest word, you open your mind and your heart, and the Spirit of God has free access to begin to change and convict and direct your heart. It's the glorious work of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. So, righteousness or innocence instead of wickedness and sin only come to us by faith. Now, does coming by faith mean that it's not real or that it's somebody else's? Please don't tell me that I am to receive the righteousness of Jesus while I remain filthy, dirty, ravished by the devil. No, no. Jesus comes and scrubs me up. He cleans me up. He changes me. He makes me into a new creature. I leave my sin behind. Not by my power but by the power of the promises of God as I sit under the arbor of faith and allow myself to be dealt with by the Holy Spirit and then I take those baby steps and I just do what the Holy Spirit gives me the ability and the power to do and he will clean me, he will scrub me by the blood of Jesus, he will transform me into a new creature. That's awesome to me. I hope I've not insulted you today by talking about baby steps and binkies and diapers. But quite frankly, that's where the modern church is. Sing me lullabies, Pastor. Help me laugh a little. Inspire me with some tears. Tell me some nice stories. Let me see the song and dance on stage. Let's get some strobe lights going. Let's get smoke machines going. Let's crank this baby up. One pastor of a mega church in Woodbridge, Virginia, told me that's exactly what we do. I said, is your church worldly? Oh, absolutely. We're unapologetic about that. I said, why? Well, he said, that's the only way we can get worldly people to come to the church. And then we're going to try to change them to follow Jesus. I said, how's that working out for you? And then I drilled right in. I said, pastor, are you into pornography? His face fell and he said, yes. Are you fighting with your wife? 
Yes. Is your marriage stable? No. Well, how's this worldly church working out for your life? If it doesn't work for the pastor, how can it work for your people? I don't mean to get stern, but do you get my point? Well, we're out of time for today. We're going to carry on from tomorrow. You know what? I love you all so much. I want to see God's power in your life. I want to see revival. It starts with me. It starts with you. I want to hear from you, too. Please write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. If you're mad at me, you don't need to send anything. But if this broadcast has helped you, help us stay on the air and and broaden out to the FM dial. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.